Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country. Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Jamie Collins, the Director of Marketing and Communications for a health organization in the Midwest called Southwest Health. Jamie has a profound journey she is willing to share with all of us to help us understand a perspective on life that many may not understand or be familiar with. At Get Up Nation, we strive to serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and to persevere through adversity to create the legacies where each life is valued. I appreciate Jamie's willingness to share her journey, to raise awareness for those who often do not have a voice, and to help encourage us all to be more cognizant of the challenges our fellow human beings face as we all seek to live our lives, pursue happiness, and reach the very heights of our potential in the time we're given here on this earth. Jamie, thank you for joining me on the Get Up Nation show. Thank you, Ben. It is just a pleasure to be here. I am honored to be on your show and um, honored to be able to share my story with, with your listeners. Jamie, you've described how when you share your journey, you quote, have been met with many wonderfully warm welcomes and with an honest interest in learning more about transgender people and how each time you share, it gives you new hope. I'm glad you're taking time here to share your journey in hopes of creating a more understanding world that is unafraid of differences and that honors each person's life. So thank you for being someone who courageously shares your experience with us all to make us more aware, more compassionate, and more willing to grow in our thoughts and actions on this earth. Thanks for recognizing that, Ben. Um, I think it is important. I know it is important for our community to be heard, to be seen, to be recognized and, and valued. You know, one thing I'd say I wanted to start things off is that, you know, to recognize also that we are not, as transgender people, uh, a monolith. 
You know, we all have unique stories, unique perspectives and experiences in life. Some folks out there have been through a whole lot more than I have. I have a great deal of privilege in my life, and I recognize that now. So I think it's important just to know that my story isn't every story out there. Jamie, you're a gifted communicator, and you've been sharing your journey of resilience more and more. You wrote recently, and it's touched on some of the points you've made there, that initially you shared your story because you were compelled to do so for your own healing. You've said, today I continue to share my story where I can because I've learned it opens hearts and minds to the lived experience of transgender people. You talk about how it helps audiences overcome their unconscious biases to better understand the trans experience and begin to appreciate privilege and how our world treats people who are different. So to get right into this, will you share the significance of what happens when a child is born and the doctor states it's a boy or it's a girl? How significant is that moment with regard to our institutions, our laws, and our societal expectations? Yeah, what's really interesting about that moment is uh, none of us remembers that moment. We don't have any control over it. It's just there. And the players in that, the doctor and the folks involved in the delivery of that child, uh, nor the parents, whatever normally expect that a child might be transgender. You know, there are point six percent of the population that generally identifies as transgender, although, you know, there is about three percent also that identify as gender nonconforming. And we don't have any control over that situation. We're assigned a gender at birth and we grow up. Those of us who are transgender recognize that there's something different about us, something profoundly different. Uh, and again, society creates this system of rules. There is a, a system of rules, rather, that we're born into. You know, we don't get a choice in that either. Boys are supposed to be like this, and girls are supposed to be like this, and everything from, you know, your haircut to your shoes and everything inside and out, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you think, everything has to align with those gender expectations. And when they don't, we are punished as males and females, it's important to recognize that there is a spectrum of gender as well. We refer to males and females, boys and girls, all the time as though it's one or the other, and a lot of people identify as something in between there, too. They can have an identity that is somewhat fluid, and I know that's a foreign concept to so many people out there, but that's okay, because others' experiences sometimes inform us about the real nature of life and living and human beings, even if we don't have any necessarily science behind it. You know, the reality is that we all have, every last one of us out there, we have two genders. There's the gender that we're assigned at birth, according to the genitalia that we present when we're born. But there's also the gender that we feel inside. And for most people, the vast majority of people on Earth, those two things align. And when they align, it's great because you never even realize that you have two genders. And you go through life just assuming that's the way it is, and that's the way it is for everybody, and I'm going to be like this, and so I'm going to project this to the outside world. And when you're not, those two genders don't align. That can cause a whole lot of suffering in a person's life, lifelong suffering. And for me, having been born in the 60s and 70s, you know, there weren't words for this back then. There wasn't an, an ability to talk about it. No one wanted to hear this, least of all my parents. You know, there was no one essentially that I could talk to, but I knew 
I knew there was something different about me. And that's a heck of a thing for a, a child right. to uh, try to come to terms with, you know, a profound difference in their person that is not accepted by anyone else around them. Will you take us through that a little bit? You've described in some of your prior speeches and interviews what it was like looking in the mirror as a child and what led to a profound sense of shame. I remember vividly, you know, as a child looking in a mirror and wanting to see a girl there, you know. The, the body and the, the image that I saw there did not fit really who I was. There was nobody that I could talk to then, no way to express those feelings. And I had already been indoctrinated into the ways of society. So these feelings that I had, there was only one thing to do with them. That was to push them down. When in pushing them down, they turned to shame because shame is a function of who you are. It's not embarrassment or something like that over something you do. It is your core of your being. And this core of your being is not accepted by society. That creates shame and you push that away you push it down and try to ignore it the best you can in order to survive and i did that for a great many years and it wasn't until really that i left my hometown had a college education at that point in time so again you know i had a great deal of privilege in my life to grow up in a, a healthy family i had a healthy body i had money enough to buy a plane ticket to taiwan and get a job over there, I set out to travel. And uh, really, when I did that, I wasn't trying to build a career or something. I was really trying to escape more than anything else. Living in a much larger city, you know, I grew up in a town of 10,000 people, and all of a sudden I was immersed in a city of uh, 7 million people. And there was that anonymity there afforded me the opportunity to start feeling and being more who I was. And it started to eke its way out, even though I really did not understand it. You had a significant dream during that time of your life. Would you like to share about that? I, I do. Yeah, I like to share this dream. Um, it was a profound moment in my life. I was about 23 years old. I had been living in Taipei, Taiwan, for about uh, six months or so. To this day, this dream is still the single most vivid and powerful dream of my life. I knew in a second, really, when I awoke, that this is something that I needed to remember. This was an amazing experience. So I... I did something that I had never done before, and I went looking for a little piece of paper in the middle of the night to write down a few words before returning to sleep. You know, I don't really remember most of my dreams. So then I woke up in the morning, and, you know, I looked at that little piece of paper, and there were just a few words on there. And I took the, that piece of paper and tried to go explain to my Taiwanese roommates, you know, what this was. And that was my first experience of sharing this intimate secret with somebody. And it didn't go well. I mean, they just did not want to hear this. You know, they looked at me like there was something wrong with me. But, it, you know, it was something that I could no longer deny. Uh, the, the words on that paper were girls for the mirror. You know, essentially I was, you know, in my dream, I was looking in the mirror and seeing a woman or a girl looking back at me. Um, when I was young enough, that was still the early 80s, that girl is the term that I would have used. So, you know, I knew there was something profound about that. I still didn't really know what it was. The word transgender was not on my radar screen. I suppose I knew that there were people out there, men who dressed in women's clothing. I wouldn't have known about a 
female to male transgender person at that point in time or that that even existed. I certainly didn't know about any of the societal forces that would have made me feel shame in that, but I did feel shame in that. And again, I had to continue to hide it, although it did eke out here and there. At one point, it sounds like you lived in Europe and then New York and then the Midwest. Do you want to take us through some of your travel and journey? Yeah, it's always fun to talk about oneself like that. In Taiwan, yet, I met a woman named Florence, and she was a beautiful young French woman who I am still with. I fell in love with her very shortly after we met, and it wasn't but a few months after we met that we decided to go live in her country. I needed to learn her language. I needed to learn her customs if I was going to stay with her and be with her, and we had even started talking about marriage already. So we moved to Paris, France, where her family lived, and we were married a short while later. You know, I needed to be able to stay in the country, so getting married was uh, the fast track to being able to do that. But eventually, we made the decision to leave the glamour of Paris for starting a family in Platteville. Flo didn't know anything about Platteville. She didn't know anything about life in the Midwest. She was pretty sure she didn't really even want to live in the United States, but she was willing to come with me. I needed to go back to school, and I needed to finish another degree. I needed to do something with my life. I needed to find a career, you know, so that I could support whatever we were going to do. Um, so we returned to my hometown for many, many years there afterwards. You know, we lived uh, for a long time in my hometown. And I lived day in and day out, you know, just working hard and loving my wife and nurturing our precious children. We had two of them, two daughters, and all continuing to push down and hide the feelings that really threatened to make all that unravel. I loved the mountains, I always did. And I gained experience, I gained skill and knowledge in navigating the business world, and eventually wanted to own my own business. So we started looking for a business in a mountain town, and we found one in upstate New York, in a town called Lake Placid, where they had hosted the Winter Olympics a couple of times, and we decided to move there. Um, we lived there for about 11 years, and still have one daughter there and a couple of grandchildren, and so we return there every once in a while. but. After a long time, um, I did end up returning to the Midwest, returning to my home state, returning to Wisconsin, where I grew up. You've described how you began to live more authentically, allowing yourself to let your appearance match your internal feelings over time. Will you share some about this process and doing that in the Midwest? There had to be a variety of emotions associated with that process, fear, anxiety, relief. Will you share a little bit about that? experiences. I didn't exactly know that I was transgender. It took me a long time to really figure that out. It took me a long time to accept myself in order to understand that. But the process was so slow and so long. It was really decades long for me. You know, I would start wearing something that was a little bit more feminine because it just fit with who I was. It was something I needed to express. And every time I did that, I was very afraid that someone was going to call me out on it. Occasionally I did, a little bit here and there, get called out on it and dealt with that, but it was something that uh, I couldn't deny. I kind of liken it to the flow of a glacier. It is incredibly slow, or it was for me, but incredibly powerful. It's not something I could ever have stopped. It was, it was just happening. I kept trying to hide it, but after a while it was really a challenge to 
continue to hide it. And eventually, decades later, I felt like I did have to come out. Until then, however, you know, when we moved back from New York, one of the big things was that our children were older. They were grown. They were out of the house then. We were uh, independent, Flo and I, and that gave us a little bit more liberty. We had an incredibly honest relationship. So she knew about this part of me. She didn't understand it either, but we were just kind of going with it. And come home from work, take off my work clothes and put on something that was decidedly more feminine. I, you know, I was shopping and buying jeans and shirts and so on in women's sections. I really did not like men's clothes anymore. And my wife knew that. And apparently whatever I was wearing most of the time was suitable enough for the rest of the world that I managed to get by. I think people just assumed that I was gay or something. You know, this went on for a long time, and I had to hide this part of myself. You know, on weekends and so on, it even got to the point that, you know, on Friday night I'd go home and I'd paint my nails. You know, I'd wait till Sunday night, the last possible moment, to take that off because I could not go back to work on Monday morning with, with uh, my nails painted. And even at work, though, you know, the clothing that I was wearing was pants and so on that were purchased in women's section of, of stores that we shopped at. But again, everybody just assumed it was some kind of metrosexual or um, a snappy dresser or something like that. Mm. <laughs> and I had a reputation for that, but no one doubted that I was truly male inside. That was never you know, brought up as a question or anything until one day when I really couldn't hide it any longer. I really couldn't, had, you know, sort of come to terms by then with who I was, and I understood a little bit more about what being transgender meant. I understood, met other transgender people. I went out in search of this and went to find out more information about this. And in learning, kind of opened my eyes to who I was and why I had been denying this my whole entire life. Can you share a little bit about the fear of discovery and how people feel imprisoned within themselves and how significant is this when we talk about mental health, the intensity of that fear of discovery mm -hmm. and that sense of imprisonment? Yeah, you know, for some transgender people, they know early on, especially these days, you know, because just out there, you know, the words are out there, the language is out there. Like I said, I was raised in the 60s and 70s and my, my entire life I was bathed from head to toe in, in this I'd call it a soup of prejudices and assumptions and misconceptions. And none of us had any courage to really question any of those things back in those days. So as a result, society just pounded into me every step of the way that this is how I was supposed to be. You know, whether it's family life, whether it's school, whether it's the media that continually bombards us or TV shows, boys are boys and girls are girls. And each comes with a preset and permanent and totally separate set of physical characteristics, separate set of mannerisms and every other trait. These are the unspoken laws of oppositional sexism. And they dictate pretty much every facet of everybody's life. You decide to buy a car, you decide to buy a pair of jeans, you decide to buy a pair of boots. Everybody out there decides these things based on this image that they all want to portray. I had to portray that image too because being feminine as you know somebody who was understood to be male that was just not done you would lose your job as a kid i remember the fear of being called a sissy was just so 
incredibly terrifying that it's something that helped me hide this for so long. But of course, no one really needed to overtly judge me or call me names because I was already busy internalizing that shame myself and making those same harsh judgments about myself every day of my life. And that takes a toll on a person. It takes a toll on our own self-worth, self-value, and self-love. And as a result, they grew up really awkward and really shy. And a lot of that has changed now. I'm able to live uh, live much more freely, much more openly, you know, as the person that I am. But the idea that someone would ever want to be feminine who was masculine is seen by basically the entire world as wrong, or worse, insane. And as a result of that, the way that people see that, transgender people are sexualized, they're fetishized, they're disenfranchised, we're stigmatized, we're ostracized, we are shunned, we are beaten, and some of us are even murdered out there. It is a terrifying world for people who don't fit in in this way, in terms of gender. So, you know, in the face of, of a world that operates like that, how do you ever take your own feelings seriously? How do I take that dream that I had seriously? How do I do anything with that? You can't. And the result is that you persecute yourself. I mean, society is basically persecuting you in a way, unknowingly. But you end up persecuting yourself also, sort of unknowingly. And that's how this small minority, a half a percent to three percent of us, end up being forcibly caged or imprisoned in a gender that is not ours. Hmm. To ever step outside that system is to subject yourself to a life of ridicule and discrimination, isolation and loneliness. As you mentioned before, this can have consequences in all sorts of uh, arenas of life, but one of them is the workplace. And you mentioned how it was not well received in Taiwan with some of your roommates, but you did have a positive experience with a coworker when you began to share more and more of who you were. There was a liberating moment where you shared with a person at work. Indeed, that was uh, an incredible moment. You know, and it came about because somebody had noticed that I was wearing makeup, and they commented to this person, and you know, I really had decided that, uh, you know, I needed to share this with somebody. I, I was I was out on weekends, you know, with my wife, with a decidedly different and more feminine presentation, and, and I, I was doing this because I, we moved back to a town that was, you know, about an hour away from where I worked, so I could get away with that for a long time, but I knew ultimately somebody was, I was gonna run into somebody from work, from my hometown, and that was gonna be a real problem, you know, given my feminine presentation on weekends and, and evenings and so on. So I had to confide in somebody at work, and I had a very good, very dear friend who I trusted, but you know, I, you know, I had never ever imagined a positive reaction to my disclosing this information, it was still a really nerve-wracking experience for me. I walked into her office one day and I closed the door and I said, you know, I've got something important to share with you. And she thought the worst. She thought I was going to tell her I had cancer or something, mm. you know, and I was uh, I was going to die or, or whatever. And uh, so she was actually relieved when said that I uttered those words, I am transgender, and then those are about the first time I ever said that to anybody but my wife. And her reaction was immediate, and it was beautiful. Hmm. You know, I couldn't have asked for a better reaction. She got up and gave me a hug, 
And again, I had never anticipated anybody reacting in such a way to that kind of information from me. So that was a watershed moment. That was, you know, a moment that, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I can live with this. Maybe I can come out. Hmm. It was still a while till I finally did come out. This was still eking out and more and more every day. And, and it did finally get to the point where I felt like I had to go in and share this information with my boss. And that is a terrifying moment. Regardless of where you work, you might think you work in the most accepting place uh, there is. And I knew that I worked for a pretty good organization, but I didn't know just how good at the time. Because when I shared this, my boss also had a positive reaction. He said, you have to be who you are. And he was ready to be supportive. It wasn't long after that that I was coming out to our entire organization, really. I'm still coming out. I'll be coming out for the rest of my life because being trans, not everybody is aware that you're trans when you're walking down the street. You know, I run into old classmates from high school and so on because I live in my, or excuse me, I work in my old hometown. You know, I'm going to run into people from time to time that I haven't seen for years or 20 years or something, and then I'm coming out all over again. I'm coming out to that person on the street doesn't know that they're talking to a transgender, and they just look at me sort of funny, like, your voice doesn't quite match your presentation. You know, I never know if somebody understands by looking at me and hearing me if I am transgender or if they just assume that I am, you know, a cisgender woman. I use that term. Cisgender, you know, essentially means not transgender. And so I'm still coming out, coming out all the time. It's a long process. As you allowed yourself to be who you felt you are, you've mentioned that you become more understanding, more calm, more compassionate, and more in intrinsically motivated than when you felt stifled. When it comes to health and well-being, what is important for people to understand about being who they feel they are. It is so liberating, for one. There is a tremendous sense of freedom that I never had before. To be able to just be myself at work and in life in general, and it is a beautiful thing. I would not wish being transgender on anybody because it's a terribly difficult and, and trying and in a lot of respects dangerous existence but I wouldn't want to choose to be anyone else because it has really opened my eyes it has helped me learn about my privilege and has helped me learn about so many aspects of society you know and it has helped me gain more than anything uh, some tremendous perspective on myself gain a self-love that I just never had before no one really gets to disagree with who I am anymore. They might have if they had known years ago about my being feminine inside or dressing in some way. People are going to have opinions, but what it is, it's basically an opinion. The fact is that transgender people have a real lived experience that you know, everyday cisgender people or non-trans people just don't have any clue about because cisgender people have not had this experience personally and because very few of them have ever read anything in depth other than basically what mainstream media might feed folks out there. Now, there is an inherent bias on the part of most of society. Even those who are accepting just really don't know what the experience is like of being transgender or living as a trans person. So they don't really get to decide for me anymore. That's one of the most beautiful things. I am real. I'm not mentally ill. I'm beautiful. 
I understand that now. We all are. Now I can go on and live my life full of integrity and being there for my family, you know, working hard on behalf of my LGBTQ family. I really do look at the LGBTQ community as, in a way, as family. You know, there are folks out there who unknowingly were role models for me, and I probably wouldn't be here today without their having been there, been out there, been in existence, and, and seeing that they can live out there, I can too, because I never, ever in a million years prior to meeting some folks, I never would have imagined that I could live as a woman. You know, I just did not think that was a possibility, and saw my life as being limited in that way, and they opened my eyes, and I want to help do that for others. Sure. That is one of the reasons I'm outspoken and I'm passionate about killing people and sharing my story, being visible as a trans person. I don't know, maybe I pass as I'm walking down the street and engaging with people out there. They don't know that I'm trans, but I hope they do, most of them. I want them to. I want them to recognize me as a trans person because most people don't know a trans person. Or if they do, they've had very limited contact. And I want people to understand we are just like everybody else. We're all unique in our own ways. We are all also real, and we're beautiful. You've written, less than a generation ago, transgender people were largely considered deviants, unfit for the workplace, and a humiliation to families. Transgender Americans have long been shunned, fired, disgraced, disowned, beaten, and murdered for simply being themselves. Far too often, and in far too many places, we still are. I have friends whose families vow never to speak with them, and others who have ended their lives to escape the pain. For anyone listening who's experiencing a similar journey, what insights or wisdom would you like to share that may comfort them, inspire them, or help them to be resilient as they face these tremendous challenges? Uh, we could talk for another hour on this. <laughs> it's important stuff. There's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of ignorance about transgender people. There's fear on the part of trans people, certainly, but there's also fear on the part of other folks around society. These are unrelenting sort of systems and modes of thought about gender in general. People don't understand that there are two genders in every single person out there, and some of us are just naturally different. They're unwilling to accept that in ways, not everybody, but a lot of folks. And we've all got a lot of, I call it unlearning, not just necessarily learning. You know, I unlearned a lot of things about those societal rules and in the process came to love myself. One of the things you find when you start to unlearn these things is you start hearing the transphobia and the sexism and the homophobia and the unconscious biases of people. You start to hear it from everyone. You start to hear it from the people you love, even. You start to hear it from people on the street, and it's hard to ignore. It's hard to deny these things, and to the extent that we can all stand up and speak to them and recognize when someone is making a joke that for example, slams transgender people or makes fun of us or denigrates us in some way, you know, we all have a duty to stand up, just like we do when someone makes that same or similar joke about a person of color, you know. We ought to be standing up against these things. If we don't, we're part of the problem. We are part of that system. And 
I'm not going to be part of that system, and I'm going to set an example for my kids and everybody else around me, and making sure that we are standing up to these things. That's more important today than ever. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we get into the final portion of the show? As we recognize, this is a really hard journey. Resilience is a an important part of that. You know, I have found that it's easy for me, especially previously, it had been really easy for me to step into a hole. Somebody makes a comment, that, for example, when the Department of Health and Human Services came out, you know, about a year or so ago now with that memo that indicated their, their plans to erase essentially transgender people. I was really angry about that. I was devastated. And it sent me into a Episodic depression, anger even can do that to you. That kind of unacceptance, you know, lack of acceptance by your own government, you know, a place <laughs> lived here and paid taxes and been an upstanding citizen of this country for an awful long time, and they come along and want to just erase me and everybody like me, the other 1.6 million people. That angers me. And now, I've lost a lot of privilege in this process. I'm not going to continue to lose it. But at the end of the day, that's you know, it's a hit on my ego. I need to be able to see it for what it is, and I need to use that anger in positive ways. You know, we've only got so much time in life. We've only got so much energy to give out there. So I don't want to continue wasting that on people that aren't worth my time and energy. On the other hand, I'm going to turn and organize and help people in my community and lift them up, and we're going to continue to march on, and we are going to continue to exist whether someone else wants to erase us or not. Their ignorant views are not going to, are not going to keep us down. So that's been an empowering part of my story, being visible, not making apology, lifting others in my community up, but it gives me a great deal of intrinsic rewards that I didn't know before, I didn't have before. And it's one of the things I am incredibly grateful for on this journey, to know what it is to really be able to go out there and help other people, because it gives me so much. And that's been a big part of my recovering from the devastating and the uh, painful process of transitioning and giving up that privilege and having to go through what I've gone through. There are a lot of other pieces in that, but managing that anger, empowering myself, those are, those are some important ones. And all that takes a great deal of perspective and time. So that's what I'd like to share. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for your bravery. Jamie, I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Yes. Who are you thankful for today? I'm thankful most for my incredible family who has... accepted and supported me and continues to love me. I have also an incredible group of friends. And when I say friends, we're not talking about acquaintances. We're talking about some really close friends who understand and support me and would stand up as well, like I've asked, just asked everyone else to. They understand this. So for me to 
continue to have quality time with them, to, you know, to be able to be part of that family, because that's also something not every transgender person gets to experience. You know, people are disowned from their families, and I have not been. I am incredibly grateful for my friends and family. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? I'm incredibly thankful for my life and my existence here and my ability to share this story, having learned what I've learned along the way. As I said, it's really opened my eyes to the tremendous privilege that I've enjoyed over the years. I am able-bodied. I have a great job that I love. I have outstanding coworkers. I have a job that means something to me because I feel like I go in and contribute to something that's important every day. And I have a new passion for making the world a better place, shining some light on not only the transgender experience, but the, the experience of other LGBTQ people and fighting for our equality and equity. But as I say that, I also realize the intersectionality, if I can use that term. In other words, you know, that not every transgender person or LGBTQ person is white and middle class and like me. We all have a range of burdens that we might be bearing from time to time. We might be a part of another marginalized community. Imagine being African-American and transgender, disabled and transgender, their lives can be much more challenging than mine. So I am thankful for my position and thankful for my ability to go out and speak up and speak out and make a difference in everyone's life. We are not free until we are all free. How do you fuel the fire within you? I have to stay healthy and take care of myself. And for me, that has always meant exercise and eating right, for starters. I have been a lifelong endurance athlete, three-time iron distance triathlon finisher, many marathons. And even though I don't really do those distances at this point in time anymore, I do still stay in shape and I eat right. I take care of myself. And that also means taking care of myself emotionally and mentally as well. Let's face it, we all need some help from time to time. I lean on my family. I have a therapist I go talk to. I have been suffering from depression, but I have also never felt better about who I am or what I'm doing or my place in this world. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? Well, it's taught me to value kindness, the kindness of strangers, the kindness of my coworkers, my family, those people important to you. The people important to you, certainly, you know, their kindnesses are my bedrock. Those are things that keep me going, but strangers can make a heck of a difference. Everyday people, acquaintances out there at work and on the street, you know, I find acceptance and welcoming environments in so many places, and I feel extremely fortunate for that, and I, I really value the power of simple, kind acts by everyday people. What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? Living my true, authentic self as a woman, being able to stand up and speak my truth. I never thought that that would be possible, and now I'm standing up in front of others. I'm on a national podcast here, and I am telling others my story, and that's an incredibly empowering experience for me and something that I never thought would have been possible.
And what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? I'm going to work every day, every day, to do something positive and create a better world. We have an incredible opportunity in life as human beings to use the time that we have. We don't have much of it, but we do have some of it. And because I'm 55 years old now, going on almost 56, you know, I've realized time is short. It doesn't last forever, and I am going to use my moments here on Earth. Take care of myself so that I can go out and make an impact hard work on behalf of other people and make this a better world today tomorrow and every day i appreciate your bravery and your willingness to share some of your time here on this show sharing what you've experienced what you've achieved and who you are if people want to learn more about the transgender experience how could they learn well, more I am really proud to have been on the ground floor of establishing a new organization here in Southwest Wisconsin called the Southwest Wisconsin Rainbow Alliance. So first of all, we have a Facebook page. You can find us at the Southwest Wisconsin Rainbow Alliance on Facebook. We're working on establishing a web page as well, swrainbowalliance.org. But there's also another website where I have shared my story and that is uh, compoundingcourage.com. If you scroll through the blogs, the story that I wrote and submitted for Compounding Courage is on there, and you can read that story there. And importantly, at the bottom of that story, they allowed me to provide some, some information on where people can go, basic transgender resources. And if you're not transgender and want to learn more about the community, or you are transgender and need to know, learn more from that perspective, there are some links in there that I think could be really important for people. Again, that's compoundingcourage.com or on Facebook, search Southwest Wisconsin Rainbow Alliance. There's a lot of information out there on the web. People like to make judgments about the trans and the LGBTQ communities when they're not part of that community. And, you know, that's easy to do. Judging is easy. The hard part is learning. The hard part is figuring things out and having some empathy for other human beings. And so I would encourage folks to go out and, and uh, find some of those resources and find something that other than just basic reports from mainstream media about the transgender person that was murdered yesterday or something. There is a wealth of really good information out there if you look for it. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me here today, for, for sharing your life with all of us. It's been an honor. Thank you, Ben. This has been an honor for me, too. Your show is amazing. What you're doing here for folks out there is amazing, and I am just proud and grateful to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you. 